Good morning, Lansing. It's Saturday, and the pet experts are in the building. And it's time for the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on more compelling talk radio, 1320 WILS. Now, your hosts, Lee Cohen and Rick Preetz. Welcome, pet keepers, to this week's Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. I'm your host, Lee Cohen, here with my co-host, the pet expert himself, Mr. Rick Bruce. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Lee. Rick, I got to tell you, I'm assuming that you guys just had great fun. There's nothing better when you're a business owner and in the animal business than 50, 60-mile-an-hour winds and massive power outages followed by, what the heck, a snowstorm and really cold weather. Probably was Great for the business, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, if there's a time when I'm going to put in extra time, uh, I don't know how I could put in extra time, <laughs> but there's a time that I need to be at the store. It's usually during power outages and such just to make sure. There's just a number of uh, different things that can definitely go wrong within uh, a pet store. In this case, uh, you know, uh, helping customers out and answering their questions and making sure our staff is giving the right advice so we're not adding to their problem but instead um, helping them out. You know, they're, they're luckily this one, for the most part, there wasn't like, I'm going to have my power out for a week. Can you help me out? Right. Uh, usually they were getting it two or three days and we just had to figure out how they could limp through. Right. But even that being said, uh, I had one client that uh, did lose, um, you know, he had three fish tanks of ten- fish and lost all three tanks. So, so yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, that brings us to the topic for today when we're getting started out here uh, is uh, what goes on at a zoo. You know, I mean, our place is a zoo. Don't get me wrong. Right. But wow, imagine Potter's Park Zoo without power, and you've got animals that, uh, well, you know, you've got rhinos and you've got uh, camels and you've got uh, well, foxes. Well, you've and, got massive wind potentially blowing yeah. down trees and fences. Yeah. There's nothing like the uh, the thought of a rhino running down <laughs> Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh, sure. Not exactly something yeah. Yeah. that you want. And yeah. frankly, I saw a Facebook post where the moose were actually having a grand old time playing <laughs> with one of the downed trees. It was pretty funny. That's yeah. the good thing about Facebook is you get the zoo posting some of these very comical animal yeah. videos. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but it well, can be an issue. Yeah. And uh, frankly, we're going to talk with Cynthia Wagner, who is now the zoo director. When we had her on last, I believe she was the curator. Mm-hmm. And now she's taken the top leadership position at the Potter Park Zoo. And we'll hear from Cynthia exactly how it was that they were affected. And more importantly, what is it that you have to do as a zoo in order to prepare yourself? Because... God, when something happens like 2013, when we had weeks without power, man, that can be just craziness. Yeah, I know. And I'm pretty confident that Potter's Park Zoo is in good hands. I've known Cindy for a lot of – Cynthia, you know. But back when she was working for me, it was Cindy. Right. And uh, she is just one top-shelf individual. I I, I can remember uh, as clear as day – 
the day she told me that she was going to be leaving to go to Potter's Park Zoo and to be a uh, zookeeper. And I just fell into tears. She was just she's just an amazing personality. She's an amazing person. She's very generous. Uh, she's very honest. She's very straightforward. And she was at that time a very uh, excellent person to have around. Uh, it was a time when there was a lot of stress in, in the store and a lot of responsibilities that were falling on my shoulders. And it was really, really awesome. She was there helping me and my family and uh, the store, uh, you know, through some tough times. And, uh, you know, I owe a lot of gratitude to her. But it's nice to see, you know, some, I don't know how many years it is, but over 10 years later, uh, now she's uh, running Potter's Park Zoo. And I can't be more proud of her. And I think she deserves everything that she's getting. And I'm quite sure as we talk to her, I think she's going to tell us, don't worry too much. The the, the the zoo is in good hands. That's what I would anticipate. Well, there's no question working with you, she probably learned chaos management. <laughs> and the truth is that we I have that for sure. I, I agree with you that she is in good hands. And in addition to talking with her about how this emergency affected them, we'll also talk about some of the great new animals that they've got coming on because what's better than seeing new animals at the zoo? Yeah. And I'm told that there are some new creatures that we've seen before and some we haven't. So we'll learn all about that. And then in the last segment, we'll let you talk about what you can do so that, God, when you lose power, you shouldn't have to lose your animals. And there are methods for keeping them going. So we'll just do a quick reminder for the public, especially you fish tank owners, of how to protect them this week on the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. More compelling talk radio, 1320 WILS. We're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And, Rick, we have a returning guest in the studio. She does have a new title, but she is a returning guest. We have Cynthia Wagner, who is now the zoo director for the Potter Park Zoo. Welcome back, Cynthia, in your new role. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. Oh, it's our pleasure to have you. I frankly never would have guessed that that would be the role that you would be in based on some of our appearances. But kudos to you and kudos to the zoo because they made a heck of a good choice. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) No problem. The reason we wanted to have you on the show, though, is because we've just all gone through in the last week or two some very extreme weather, uh, crazy winds and power outages. And how exactly was Potter Park Zoo affected, if any? This time with this windstorm, it was fairly minimal. We had a few Big trees come down, but just in open areas. And then we did have one tree come down on a exhibit fence for the moose, um, but it didn't break the fence. And we were able to give the moose the tree, which they appreciated to eat later on. And Miko was beating it up with his antlers. So um, that was to our benefit. But we are very, you know, we're watching everything during storms like that. We have a lot of trees in the zoo. Power outages are an issue. You know, if there's a power outage at the zoo, Depending on if it's summer or winter, you hook up the generators for different reasons. But in the winter, we would hook them up first to the bird and reptile building for heat. So we were fairly lucky in this storm compared to people around us. Um, And I would assume you close, right? I mean, as soon as that happens, do you just close We um, to the public? The only people at the zoo were like big zoo lesson, and we kept them inside until their buses came. Gotcha. 
And it seems like down in the Detroit area and some of the other cities, they got hit a little bit worse, assuming that we would have seen something like that, where it could have been 48 hours without power. How exactly is Powder Park Zoo position to be able to respond to a situation like that where heat and electric are minimally available? We have several large generators that can power boilers for our buildings at the zoo at all times, and then the county as a whole has them available for in different departments. So that is a resource for us that we can always pull from more. In this instance, there were other departments in the county that lost power and they borrowed our generators you know, to go there. So um, it is nice to be part of the, you know, county department so that we have a lot more resources. Now, being AZA accredited, uh, what are your requirements there and how does that plug into preparedness? Even uh, USDA now requires emergency plans, but AZA's uh, requirements are much more more stringent. stringent. Yeah. So we have plans for everything and any AZA zoo does have that. So we have plans for animal escapes, um, you know, non-dangerous, dangerous. We have plans for tornado, uh, fire, wind is severe weather, um, blizzard, power outage, train derailment because we have train tracks right near us. Oh yeah. Flood because we are in a floodplain and almost guaranteed to flood at some point. (laughs) So we have a lot. Do you go through procedures as if it happened ever, or is it basically on paper? Kind of like fire drills. We are required to do drills every year, and we do um, several drills uh-huh. every year, document them, and keep those records and evaluate them and have meetings. We have a safety committee that's meeting monthly, and we have a representative from each department, So, because every department has a different perspective on you know, things that are going on. So... Um, the vet department, maintenance, events, education, we all it, get together. Is it difficult for your staff to take it seriously, or when this happens, they all kind of realize this is a serious situation? In a drill? In everybody's a drill. adrenaline gets going, too. They, they, Just they, yesterday, a keeper told me, you know, yeah. and even in drills, it's good because our adrenaline gets going. and good. so. Good. It's good practice, yeah. Good. Excellent. Now, when it comes to the weather situation where we had massive winds that were blowing through, how did the animals respond to that? <laughs> Do any of the animals respond in any kind of a fearful way? Do any of them get excited and say, hey, this is fun? I mean, what kind of a well, response do you get? Anything that we can lock in, we lock in. Uh, just for safety reasons. So the big cats get locked in, rhino, big hoof stock, uh, anything like the otters that have an electric fence where the power could go out, all of those animals get locked in. There are a few instances, um, for instance, the wolves that don't have a building because they don't need one. They can handle the cold. Uh-huh. Uh, so they, we can't lock them in somewhere. Mm-hmm. So we just monitor them and see. Um, we haven't had any problems with them. What's the... Uh May I ask what the protocol is uh, if the fence breaks, for instance, on the on the wolves? We would treat it if it's um, a situation where they have holding yards and they have exhibit yards, so it depends on where the break is. If we can put them in the holding pen, we would to secure mm-hmm. them. If not, we would treat it as an animal escape and dart them um, and move them to a different location. Oh, okay. Now, when it came to the situation, how? what was the protocol that you followed 
as the problem was occurring. I mean, we just saw this week where the whole East Coast closed down, and in a lot of instances, it seems like they got barely any snow. Uh, what do you guys do in order to be properly prepared, but at the same time, not to overblow every situation into a catastrophe as the media is so prone to do when we have one of these quote-unquote storms coming on? Well, our main concern is always visitor safety, staff safety, animal safety. So we look at you know, whether the zoo is safe for the visitors, and that's kind of what we base our decision on. Um, if we're going to lock all the animals in and there's nothing visible anyways, um, that's not a good experience for the visitors. But typically, we keep a close eye on everything. We The keepers are used to working in any kind of weather because even in a situation where it would be a blizzard or a flood or a tornado, the animals have to be taken care of. So we do break it down for essential personnel versus non-essential personnel. And non-essential don't come into the zoo, don't, you know, they just stay away. And then we just keep the essential coming in. I think in Michigan, everybody's used to the snow. So we kind of wait for it to happen. We watch the walkways. We have maintenance staff that come in in the middle of the night to get the walkways clear so that we can open so that it's safe for people to walk around. So we do our best to stay open as much as we can. Now, the, the city was the previous owner of the zoo. Now it's actually owned by the entire county. Has that helped in the preparedness for emergencies? Does that make any difference? Uh, funding? I mean, are you looking for anything that needs to be accomplished that hasn't been accomplished, uh, and you're looking for funding from them? Or do you feel pretty pretty comfortable where you're at, and you're pretty comfortable where you were at? I, I did work at the zoo when we were city run, but it was my first few years. So, sure, um, so you're probably I didn't not know that a lot of the right. um, budget and management part of it. So I would say that we're fairly, um, you know, we're confident with the county's ability to work with us and with the resources they provide. Uh, they have a facilities department that can help in emergencies. They can pull personnel from other places if we need to. So that's that's an excellent gift. Yep. Yeah. Now, the one thing I'm curious about is that when you've got situations where sometimes employees may not be able to make it into the zoo because they're blocked or there's mm -hmm. issues going on for them, what kind of cross-training have you done so that the animals still get fed? Because I would imagine that not everyone knows how to feed the rhinoceros and not get hurt and things like that. So what kind of training? do you guys do in order to facilitate that some people might not always make it in? That's not really an issue in emergencies because it's something we do on a daily basis anyways as a, as a smaller facility and a smaller staff. So we have three animal areas with dedicated staff to those areas, but they do cross-train. Um, typically, there's one or two people in each area that are cross-trained in the other areas. So and the curator and the head keeper learn all of them. So there's always somebody that can do anything. How do you break up the animal kingdom? What are the three? We break it up into carnivore primate, hoofstock, and bird and reptile. Okay. There's some overlap with a few things with small mammals. but Part of it's just the physicality of where the, where the properties are and what's close to what, right? We wanted people to be able to specialize a little more and really gain knowledge in, in a set area mm -hmm. um, instead of having to learn everything all the time. So, cuz you know with animal behavior you have to know the little things. There's there's a lot of subtleties that you have to know about each animal and the species. So it is uh easier for the keepers if they can 
focus focus on, on that. And what uh, I had an idea, a thought. Lee, you got something? <laughs> I'll, I'll be back to my idea. I just have to. <laughs> always. I was going to ask something. That's fine. Uh, City, actually, I wanted to ask you, as far as water goes, uh, are you guys power dependent for water in the zoo, or is that something that will happen whether you have power or not? We do have water when we, ha- when we don't have power, so that oh. is good. And we do have, now that with the flooding, um, the city, the railroad, and the county have all worked together to create an emergency egress for us across the railroad tracks into the zoo now that Dakin Street Bridge is no longer there. So we do have a way for uh, large vehicles and staff to get into the zoo any time that the front entrance would be blocked. Okay. I guess I was going to ask, uh, what's the staff level of a zoo your size? How many people actually work there? Is Different at any every zoo. So for Potter Park Zoo, we have 14 full-time keepers. We have a lot of seasonal and part-time uh-huh. animal care staff, especially in the summer, to run the encounters. Uh, we have seven full-time maintenance, and we have two vet staff, and then you have education staff, event staff, uh, registrar, management and the, the vet staff, you would have a vet and then an assistant? And Is that how tech, it works? Yep. A vet tech. That makes sense. When it comes to the history, and I don't know if you know the answer to this because you, you haven't been there for all the years the zoo has been there, but have there ever been any weather-type emergencies or things that have happened that have impacted the zoo fairly significantly? I would imagine the power outage a few years ago probably uh, was a big item in particular. I, I'm not sure why or what the reason is, but the few times that we've had major power outages, the zoo has lost power for a very short amount of time, huh. which has been a wonderful thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, so last time I was out of power at home for five days, but the zoo got it back within 24 hours. Uh-huh. So that's been amazing. But since when I was a keeper, uh, the zoo did flood to the point that the entire drive entrance and exit drives were flooded. Uh, so we had to come in by an alternate route. And at that time, you're really just bringing in enough keepers to feed and clean the animals. Uh-huh. You're just doing the basics to make sure everybody stays healthy. And the animals are up and out of water? Is it, Are they high enough in ground that there's unlikely that they would be underwater? We have, you know, we do have an evacuation plan. Okay. So we are in the, you know, the 500-year major, in the 100-year floodplain. So now you know, you know our place isn't big enough to take in your animals. So. <laughs> we would probably work with other zoos. But we do have an evacuation plan. So even like in the Bird and Reptile Building, we have a plan for a crate for every animal and, you know, a list of what every animal needs to be transported in. Okay. Um, we would have to work with other zoos to get the larger animals out and get larger, like, cat crates. We just have a few, but we do have a plan for that. And most of the exhibits stay out of the water. The one that would flood the first is moose. So we would have to move the moose out before. And you don't, don't you have two moose now? We do. And they're both in the same exhibit? Yes. They aren't together all year long because we're not breeding them. Uh Uh, So they're separated right now, but they'll go together soon. Now, how much time does it take to remove these animals, let's say you implement 
the plan? Is is this something we we might want to figure that out after it happens because <laughs> it's going to take as long as they need to take. I can well, promise you that. Well, Luckily, we, we haven't had to days, do it. So. But are we talking days? Are we talking weeks? Are we talking? I mean, because I can't imagine moving a rhinoceros from one location <laughs> to another. Well, you, a chore. you definitely uh, hit the nail on the head with the rhinoceros because that would be the most difficult one. Um, there aren't, you know, every zoo doesn't even have crates for the rhinos, so we would have to get a crate. So that would take the longest. So we would need to be planning for that ahead of time and have the crates um, to get them out. And you need a really big forklift to move them into a truck. So that is the most difficult one. <laughs> the bird and reptile building, we could have all of those animals out in a couple hours. And the otter, he can kind of hang around for a yeah. while, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, he does. What, he does well. He does what otters for, do. Yeah. <laughs> bring on the water. Crate. And a lot of the animals, uh, small mammals, are crate trained. So you know, the red pandas will just go in a crate. We can get the palace cat in a crate. Otters, fox in crates easily. The rhinoceros would be difficult. No yes. kidding. We're talking this morning with Cynthia Wagner, who is the zoo director for the Potter Park Zoo. And, Cynthia, we need to take a quick break. But after the break, we'd like to talk with you about some of the new changes that are going to be taking place at the Potter Park Zoo. And if there are some new animals that are coming in, we'd love to hear about it. And that's what we'll do right here on the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 no. WILS. Here are Rick Pruse and Lee Cohen. You're listening to the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. It's 9.35, and we're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And we've been talking this morning with Cynthia Wagner, who is the zoo director for the Potter Park Zoo. And, Cynthia, the, we talked a little bit about the emergency that, thank goodness, we got the chance to miss, and we're grateful mm-hmm. for it. But one of the other reasons we wanted you in is we want to know when is it we're getting new animals and what kind of new animals are we getting? We are getting new animals very soon. So we have started, we ship a lot of animals and transfer animals in the spring and the fall. You don't want to do it in the heat of the summer or in the middle of the winter. So right now is a really busy time. Uh, we are bringing back kangaroo to the zoo. We've had one old kangaroo that's been around, but he's hard to see sometimes. So we're bringing in a larger group and bringing back red kangaroos. Uh, we are bringing in Binturong, which we've had at the zoo before, but we mm-hmm. haven't had for several years. And this time we're bringing in a breeding pair. Uh, so we are going to try to breed them. And those will be both on exhibit in the old moose yard, where the moose were when they were younger. Um, so that's that's happening first, and that's really exciting. And then we do have a plan to bring in anteater, which have never been at the zoo. Yeah. And we're all very excited about that. Tell us where these animals come from originally, not necessarily the zoo they're transferred from, but where, where are they, the Bitron, where is that from? Asia. So, okay. But you, if you want to know where they come from, they all come from zoos. So. Right. That's what I figured. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of animals are those? Uh, what, are, what did you call them? Uh, bitrons. Okay, right? yeah. What kind of I, or I'm close even, to it? I'm not even familiar with those animals. What, what kind of animals are they? The Bitron is... There you go. Binturong, yes. Okay. Is a, they call it a bear cat. That's what it kind of looks like. They they have a very long tail. They have a prehensile tail, and they're dark. People say they smell like popcorn. I don't really think so. Um, they're, they're very unusual looking, which is part of the reason we like to have them at the zoo, because everybody says, what is that? And then they read and get more information about them. Um, so 
They're unusual looking. And when you say that they're – what would they be even remarkably close to? They're in the Viveridae family. So. Which doesn't mean anything to <laughs> yeah, you're most still, of us. You're, you're still missing me. <laughs> well, I was curious. Uh, one thing I was wondering is uh, I had a close-up and personal encounter with an anteater, okay? Yeah. I was uh, – uh, I was at the aquarium down in Dallas, and they have – it's not an aquarium. It's like a zoo within a – it's like this multi-story uh, – it's it, it's a crazy environment that has animals at all levels along with intertwining with water and in an aquarium. It's like pretty darn fantastic. But the, it was getting a little older, and the silicone around the glass walls were – were separated, right? So there's a glass wall, and they were all in there safely, but the silicone had left. So I'm standing there holding onto the countertop, and all of a sudden, this long tongue comes wrapping around my finger, and it was the it was the anteater that was uh, reaching through the glass outside and grabbing my tongue. So <laughs> tell us about your excitement about anteaters. I got really excited about them when I had an encounter with an anteater at another <laughs> zoo. It was, a, I think, it was a much different with experience its than you had. No, but uh, it will be fun to be able to show people a, a different animal that they haven't seen at the zoo. Um, they are unusual, and you can do encounters where um, you can utilize different things so that they, people can see their tongue. You can use clear tubes to feed them in so that you can really see, see how that long that thing is. How long is the tongue of a? Of an anteater, or Honestly, we'll find out. I'm not exactly sure. Where, where is this one going to be coming from, or have you not yet figured that out? You just know you're going to be getting one. We just know we're going to be getting one. I th- the curator's working on that. Remarkably, now as director, I don't focus a lot on that part. On I'm that part. part. Yeah, you're, I'm you're, part of the animal management committee, but I don't have to arrange the shipments anymore. Okay, yeah. And where do they come from originally? South America. Okay, so somewhere within the Amazon uh, basin, right? Yeah. And our veterinarian does has done field work there, yeah. um, and she is the SSP vet for the anteater program. Mm-hmm. So she has a lot of experience in that area, and we are excited that we're going to be able to participate in field conservation with that species. So it'll be a good, good animal to have at the zoo. And do they eat anything other than ants? They don't eat a lot of ants at the zoo. <laughs> um, they're gonna, is, there, is there a food? Yep, the, like anteater food. There's a lot of zoo diets that are made. You know, especially made by a company. We get a lot from Missouri. That's mm-hmm. the brand that we use. And they they do a lot of wild diets. So they create an insectivore dry pellet, mm-hmm. which is what a lot of our insectivores eat for their mm-hmm. main diets. So. I was just going to comment on uh, with this interview. It's interesting. We've had previous directors on the show. None of them with the experience that you have um, as the years have gone by. So it's kind of awesome having a director that actually has the animal experience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can remember when you first came on the show, uh, you were, I, I don't know, did you come on as a zookeeper? I can't remember. I know then once you were a curator, you came on. But uh, what has it been like uh, being able to look back in the rearview mirror and see like this this experience from a zookeeper's perspective, then a curator's perspective, and now the director of the zoo. How does that, what do you think about that? Well, I think most people become zookeepers because they say, you know, they really want to work with animals or they love animals. They're passionate about animals, conservation. And that was true for me too. And I did enjoy it. Um, Part of being a keeper is you really get to develop a relationship with the animals and you, uh-huh. you learn every little thing about them. about them. You know them better than anybody. So that I did enjoy that. And being a curator was a new challenge. It wasn't easy, 
Definitely. Yeah. And yeah. when I became curator is really when I learned that I enjoy the people side of the job. Right. Um, so at first, you know, director is like, wow, that's management. I haven't been curator very long. Should I, you know, do this? But right. this is the part of the job I really, I think, excel at. Everybody agrees that working with people and having those conversations and building those relationships is something that I do excel at. So I'm enjoying it. I am enjoying being director. As director, what percentage of your time is working with what type of people? You know, like, uh, are you spending a lot of time working with your immediate staff or is a lot of that time that you spend external trying to work with community leaders and things yeah, like the that? county people and what have you. Well, I would say that the answer I'm going to give you now may not be the answer I'd give you a year from now sure. since it's brand new. But, you know, we've been under a reorganization. We're restructuring. We created new positions. Um, so I've been doing a lot of hiring, a lot of time with staff, um, doing a lot of training and making sure we're getting everything set. We have a lot of people in new positions. So that's been the focus right now. Um, hopefully in the near future, I'll be able to spend a lot more time outside of the zoo in the community mm-hmm. and building those partnerships and relationships. I do spend some time with, uh, you know, boards and county government and working through um, getting protocols approved and resolutions approved. Sure. Yeah. So it's not, uh, I'm sure it would not be uh, commonly something you would want to do as in totally reorganizing a zoo, and you are. So what are the dividends that might come out from a reorganization? Where, you know, what, what's the goal in a reorganization and what do you hope or what are your lofty ideas in the process? The goal is always to have a more successful organization. Um, we know that Potter Park Zoo can grow and we know there's a lot more we can do with conservation and even education. Um, we are putting people in places that we really feel like they're going to excel. Mm-hmm. So we are excited about our new customer service manager who's going to run the gift shop and the restaurant. So we would expect those to look a little different this year. Nice. Um, maybe not right at the beginning of the season because, yeah. you know, we're kind of crunched for time here, but to see change over the course of this year and even next year. So we're, we're definitely excited about making some visible changes and definitely in services that are offered to the visitors, but also in, we're developing a conservation plan. We're focusing more on conservation, getting the community involved in conservation, but also our participation in research projects because there's a lot that we can do with the animals we have by providing, you know, blood samples for a research project from an animal that will let us voluntarily draw blood mm-hmm. like the rhinos so that they can learn something about them as a species. So there's a lot that we're getting involved in that uh, we haven't been previously. And the general uh, is is there a um, what do I want to say? We we have uh, a change in consciousness as far as the overall public. Uh, I think most people have a fantastic impression of zoos. Um, what what uh, effort goes in maybe with you and your colleagues that you work with at other zoos to kind of help make sure that uh, you know the both the reputation and the lofty goals of zoos. Uh, continue in that direction you just you really have to you know act on the things that you are teaching people so in order to educate people on what we're doing at the zoo we need to be doing it we need to we need to get the story out there because one Mm -hmm. thing we did find is the conservation work that we were doing we weren't good about getting the story out so people didn't know Um, so we're working on that we're getting a new website but zoos as a whole really have to do better about 
you know, advocating and getting the story out because everybody is doing a lot yeah. of conservation right, work. Right. And, you know, we're breeding Puerto Rican crested toads so that we can release the tadpoles into Puerto Rico. That's a recovery program. And we have Guam kingfishers now, which we're hoping to breed, um, and Guam rails. So those are both release programs, breed and release programs. So there there are some of those programs going on, but the problem is that you, there's not habitat for them in some instances. So you can't just breed every animal and let them and right. release them. There's them somewhere for in. them to go. Right, right. Um, you know, and with rhino poaching, it's it's terrible right now. So yeah. um, we're trying to do a lot to educate people. Well, Cynthia, I love the conversation we've had with you, but I'm, I'm afraid we have just run out of time. But we want to thank you for coming on the show. We've been speaking this morning with Cynthia Wagner, who is the director of the Potter Park Zoo. And, Rick, after the break, we're going to circle back to the emergency management issue and hear what you guys were recommending for people who may still be struggling a little bit with, with the power. issue yeah. of power and, frankly, how do we keep these animals going. Uh, but that's what we'll talk about right after the break on the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. Mid-Michigan we're back here with the Mid-Michigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And, Rick, for this last segment, uh, instead of having a guest come in, uh, my thought was to talk with you because I remember a couple of years ago, back in 2013, when we had the great ice storm that put Lansing out of commission for a couple of weeks and Proust Pets all of a sudden became the hospital animal rescue uh, for essentially the middle of the state. Uh, First question for you is, how did this storm affect you guys? And secondly, uh, what did you guys have to do in order to keep your animals straight and everything going okay? So we we dodged another bullet, so that was good. Uh, Meaning you did not lose power. We did not lose power. And... um, the one thing that I can say is that not all customers were lucky. And I find that in the aftermath of these events, there's only one group of animals that are really, if you're, if you're at all conscientious, there's only one group of animals that still seem to be kind of victim of the events. Okay. Um, most people that, you know, if you have a bird, what do you do? You take it to a friend's or a neighbor's or, you know, you at least, a lot of times they can at least hand, they don't have power that they need. You know, they, they don't need, there's nothing electrical necessarily. Even a reptile is a cold blooded animal that can go down. It's just mainly temperature you need to worry about. And there's always somebody you can drive to if you need to, right? unless it's a whole area, you know, that's the size of half of Michigan. No, but if you're staying in a hotel, for example. You can easily, you know, hopefully they have power and they have a backup generator and it just automatically kicks on, that kind of thing. But fish and fish aquatic-related animals, I think is probably the one thing that you can't, you know, you may not realize when you're getting into fish that you need to be prepared, but you need to be prepared because there's there's just a relatively narrow window of opportunity before all is lost. And and so that's that's my only – my heart goes out to those that not really realizing that they needed to prepare and they've lost their animals in the way of fish. So hopefully more people hear it. We sell – 
we always have a, a case of backup air pumps uh, ready to sell the public. So in case they do have a power outage, that's the first thing they need to worry about is just to make sure there's air. And then the second thing that we strongly recommend I recommend, no matter how big the tank is, you can pull this one off. You know, go out and buy preferably one-inch, but even half-inch styrofoam, right? One-inch would be great because it's substantially uh, more insulated. And then get as much as you need so you can cut it up into pieces and have a a bolt of um, duct tape, uh, a a roll of duct tape waiting. And that's pretty much what you really need to keep the temperature from changing fast, a lot of these animals can handle the mid-60s. If the temperature goes from 80 degrees or 78 or 76 down to that temperature very, very slowly, the faster the change, the more the shock. The more the shock, the more likely they're not going to make it. At some point, it starts getting too too cold. And so another thing that really helps by having that like thermos, like the insulated box around them, and if you had to, you can use blankets as an immediate solution, but something that's really well insulated would be even better. But once you have it insulated or kind of protected and you have it aerated, then all of a sudden, uh, basically, you just need to keep the warmth going in. So two-liter bottles with hot water. A lot of people have gas uh, water heaters, Mm -hmm. so they can just simply fill up really hot bottles of water and dip them into the water and watch their thermometer and kind of adjust it accordingly. If they can keep it bouncing around the high 60s and preferably anywhere in the 70s, their fish are probably going to make it much more likely than than not. Um, and there's certainly no better uh, approach than getting a generator out and getting it on because you have an aquarium heater. You know, on most tanks, almost every tank has an aquarium heater. So as long as you get a generator out the side, the smallest of generators out there is plenty enough to run your fish tank including your heater. Now, my question is, you talked about fish being affected. How are corals affected by yeah. uh, the temperature? Is is that an effect, or is it light that causes an issue? And how do you deal with that in a power outage? Well, certainly oxygen is the first thing to worry about. You really need to get things moving around. It's not so much for the corals themselves, but there's a lot of biological life in the live rock and in the live sand and such. And if you don't have the oxygen there... You know, they those are all dying out and causing even more consumption of oxygen. Oxygen. So, I would say water circulation, which the battery-operated air pumps will provide plenty of that, uh, would be the first place to go. You know, maybe you might want to have double the amount you would in fresh water. You know, maybe on a thirty-gallon tank, have two battery-operated air pumps, or on a six-foot tank, maybe four battery-operated air pumps. And honestly, with a reef tank, if you can keep the temperature up. Water circulating around live rocks pretty much makes that tank pretty darn healthy if you can keep the temperature into the high 60s probably. Um, for three or four or five days or even longer, um, certainly plenty of time to find a generator and get it on the tank and get it running. I would say most people that have a reef tank should that, that that's, let's say, above 30 gallons should really consider having a generator they can hook up to their tank. Otherwise, they're putting themselves in a pretty compromised situation if it's a long, long outage. And there's a lot of value in one of those reef tanks. You know, you, know, you can have uh, two, three, four thousand dollars worth of uh, creatures and animals, and it's not so much about the money; it's the life forms. Right. You know, but uh, 
you can you can lose a lot pretty quickly if you're not prepared. Right. And typically, how long can one of those tanks hold up with these emergency measures you're talking about? So the, Are the, we looking at two, three days? Or? Well, a reef tank, if you can keep it circulating and the temperature up, even if you don't run the main filter system, there really isn't much of a main filter system on a reef tank. You might be able to go two weeks without issue, right? Okay. Uh, that That's easier. When you're dealing with fresh water, one of the problems that you have is your biological filter system has stopped. Right. One of the reasons why you might want to have a sponge filter running on your tank at all times, something that's air-driven, that's in the corner, that has lots of biological potential. And then once you get – once the power's out and your air system comes on, hook up your sponge filter to your aerator and you can keep the sponge filtration going on continuously. And pretty much if you can keep the temperature up and run that sponge filter, then again you can go several weeks without issue. Should you reduce the amount of feeding that you're doing during that period so you're introducing less biology into the tank? Yeah, they the feeding should bear in mind if the water's a little colder, you know, let's hopefully you're in the low seventies. Right. You know, they don't need as much food. And certainly these fish are gonna be okay if they're eating, you know, even every two or three days. Uh, small amounts of food is better than anything that's uh, the more uh, th- th- than anything that's more substantial. The more you're prepared, let's say you have that established sponge filter that's been running in the tank, and you just kind of rely on that. The more you can probably feed them every day, but just feed very very sparingly. Right. The more that you didn't have that in preparation, and you're worried about the ammonia to rise because of um, any extra excrement and foods and such, then the more I'd feed like every two or three days and feed the sparest amount just to make sure they have enough to keep themselves going. Gotcha. And when it comes to getting all of this material, is it something that's pretty much always available that people should just keep on hand? Or is it something that when they see the problem occurring, they can just come into Proust and you've got enough of them in stock that yeah. uh, it can be kind of a just-in-time type operation? I know that's probably not yeah. your suggestion. So. You know, that might work real well for GM and trying to be efficient, right. you know, but that's not a good idea <laughs> when it comes to your fish tank. You, okay. you know, the more preparation, the better. I mean, there's no there, – there there isn't too much preparation, right? right? You, you know, having anybody out there listening and you have a fish tank, know that we genuinely are concerned about preparedness and that if you have questions, we probably have some pretty darn good answers for you so you, you can actually – Be prepared, even if it never happens. Well, Rick, I'm afraid I'm prepared to tell you that we are out of time because we are. So on behalf of our producer, Laura Cassio, my co-host in the studio, Rick Proust, this is Lee Cohen wishing all of you a great weekend and a great week ahead. We'll talk again next weekend on the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And in the meantime, will you please, please take good care of your pets. Have a great weekend. Like us on Facebook. Go to Facebook.com forward slash MMPets. Upload your pet's picture or check out the silly pet photos that we put up there to get you through your day.